0: CHAPTER Twenty-One OF SNARLEYOW BY FREDERICK Marriott THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN IN WHICH ARE NARRATED THE ADVENTURES WHICH TOOK PLACE IN THE CORPORAL'S CRUISE AND THE JOLLY-BOAT CORPORAL VAN SPITTER, SO SOON AS HE HAD EXPENDED ALL HIS BREATH IN SHOUTING FOR HELP, SAT DOWN WITH SUCH A FLOP OF DESPAIR ON THE THWART OF THE BOAT as very nearly to swamp it. As it was, the water poured in over the starboard gunwale until the boat was filled up to his ankles. This alarmed him still more, and he remained mute as a stockfish for a quarter of an hour, during which he was swept away by the tide until he was unable to discover the lights on shore. The wind freshened and the water became more rough. The night was dark as pitch and the corporal skimmed along before the wind and tide. "'A thousand tifles! at last muttered the corporal, as the searching blast crept round his fat sides and made him shiver. Gust succeeded Gust, and at last the corporal's teeth chattered with the cold. He raised his feet out of the water at the bottom of the boat, for his feet were like ice.' but in so doing the weight of his body being above the centre of gravity the boat careened over and with a "Mind gott he hastily replaced them in the cold water and now a shower of rain and sleet came down upon the unprotected body of the corporal which added to his misery to his fear and to his despair where am i muttered he what will become of me ah oh, mein gott twenty thousand tyfles what had i to do in a boat ay corporal van spitter and then he was again silent for nearly half an hour the wind shifted to the northward and the rain cleared up but it was only to make the corporal suffer more for the freezing blast poured upon his wet clothes and he felt chilled to the very centre of his vitals his whole body trembled convulsively, he was frozen to the thwart, yet there was no appearance of daylight coming, and the corporal now abandoned himself to utter hopelessness and desperation, and commenced praying. He attempted the Lord's Prayer in Dutch, but could get no further than Art in Heaven, for the rest from disuse had quite escaped the corporal's memory, he tried to recollect something else but was equally unsuccessful at last he made up a sad mixture of swearing and praying Mein god a hundred thousand typhils good god twenty hundred thousand typhils ah uh, god have mercy millions of typhils holy god jesus twenty millions of typhils god for damn i die of cold such were the ejaculations of the corporal, allowing about ten minutes to intervene between each, during which the wind blew more freshly, the waves rose, and the boat was whirled away. But the corporal's miseries were to be prolonged. The flood time of water was now spent, and the ebb commenced, flowing against the wind and sea. This created what is called boiling water, that is, a contest between the wind forcing the waves one way and the tide checking them the other, which makes the waves to lose their run, and they rise and dance and bubble into points. The consequence was that the boat, as she was borne down by the tide against them, shipped a sea every moment, which the wind threw against the carcass of the corporal, who was now quite exhausted with more than four hours' exposure to a wintry night, the temperature being nearly down to zero. All the corporal's stoicism was gone. He talked wildly, crouched and gibbered in his fear, when he was suddenly roused by a heavy shock. He raised his head, which had sunk upon his chest, and beheld something close to him and to the gunwale of the boat. It was a thin, tall figure holding out his two arms at right angles, and apparently stooping over him. It was just in the position that Smallbones lay on the forecastle of the cutter on that day morning, when he was about to keel-haul him, and the corporal, in his state of mental and bodily depression, was certain that it was the ghost of the poor lad whom he had so often tortured. Terror raised his hair erect, his mouth was wide open, he could not speak, he tried to analyze it, but a wave dashed in his face, his eyes and mouth were filled with salt water, and the corporal threw himself down on the thwarts of the boat, quite regardless whether it went to the bottom or not. There he lay, half groaning, half praying, with his hands to his eyes, and his huge nether proportion raised in the air, every limb trembling with blended cold and fright. One hour more, and there would have been nothing but corporal parts of Corporal Spitter. The reason why the last movement of the corporal did not swamp the boat was simply that it was aground on one of the flats, and the figure which had alarmed the conscience-stricken corporal was nothing more than the outside beacon of a weir for catching fish. Being a thin post with a crossbar to it, certainly not unlike smallbones in figure, supposing him to have put his arms in that position. For upwards of an hour did the corporal lie reversed when the day dawned and the boat had been left high and dry upon the flat. The fishermen came down to examine their weir and see what was their success, when they discovered the boat with its contents. At first they could not imagine what it was, for they could perceive nothing but the capacious round of the corporal, which rose up in the air, but by degrees they made out that there were a head and feet attached to it, and they contrived, with the united efforts of four men, to raise him up, and discovered that life was not yet extinct. They poured a little schnapps into his mouth, and he recovered so far as to open his eyes and they, having brought down with them two little carts drawn by dogs, they put the corporal into one, covered him up, and yoking all the dogs to the one cart, for the usual train could not move so heavy a weight, two of them escorted him up to their huts, while the others threw the fish caught into the cart which remained, and took possession of the boat. The fishermen's wives, perceiving the cart so heavily laden, imagined, as it approached the huts, that there had been unusual success, and were not a little disappointed when they found that, instead of several bushels of fine fish, they had only caught a corporal of marines. But they were kind-hearted, for they had known misery, and Van Spitter was put into a bed, and covered up with all the blankets they could collect and very soon was able to drink some warm soup offered to him. It was not, however, till long past noon that the corporal was able to narrate what had taken place. "'Will your lieutenant pay us for saving you and bringing him his boat?' demanded the men. Now it must be observed that a great revolution had taken place in the corporal's feelings since the horror and sufferings of the night. He felt hatred toward Vanslyperken and goodwill toward those whom he had treated unkindly. The supernatural appearance of small bones, in which he still believed, and which appeared to him as a warning, what he had suffered from cold and exhaustion, which by him was considered as a punishment for his treatment of the poor lad, but the morning before, had changed the heart of Corporal Van Spitter. So he replied in Dutch. He will give you nothing, good people, not even a glass of schnapps, I tell you candidly. So keep the boat, if you wish. I will not say a word about it, except that it is lost. He is not likely to see it again. Besides, you can alter it and paint it. This very generous present of His Majesty's property by the corporal was very agreeable to the fishermen, as it amply repaid them for all their trouble. The corporal put on his clothes and ate a hearty meal, was freely supplied with spirits, and went to bed quite recovered. The next morning the fishermen took him down to Amsterdam in their own boat, when Van Spitter discovered that the Jungfrau had sailed. This was very puzzling, and Corporal Van Spitter did not know what to do. After some cogitation it occurred to him that, for Van Slyperken's sake, he might be well received at the Lust House by Widow Vandersloosh, little imagining how much at a discount was his lieutenant in that quarter. To the Frau Vandersloosh accordingly he repaired, and the first person he met was Babette, who, finding that the corporal was a Dutchman, and belonging to the Jungfrau and who presumed that he had always felt the same ill-will towards Vanslyperken and Snarleyow, as did the rest of the ship's company, immediately entered into a narrative of the conduct of Snarleyow on the preceding night, the anger of her mistress, and every other circumstance with which the reader is already acquainted. Corporal Van Spitter thus fortunately found out how matters stood previous to his introduction to the widow. He expatiated upon his sufferings, upon the indifference of his lieutenant, in sailing as to what had become of him, and fully persuaded Babette not only that he was inimical, which now certainly he was, but that he had always been so, to Mr. Vanslyperken babette who was always ready to retail news went up to the widow and amused her as she dressed her with the corporal's adventures and the widow felt an interest in before she had seen corporal van spitter from the account of his moving accidents by flood and field but if prepossessed in his favour before she saw him what did she feel when she first beheld the substantial proportions of Corporal Van Spitter? There she beheld the beau-ideal of her imagination, the very object of her widow's dreams, the antipodes of Vanslyperken, and as superior as Hyperion to a satyr. He had all the personal advantages with none of the defects of her late husband. He was quite as fleshy but had at least six inches more in height, and, in the eyes of the widow, the Corporal Van Spitter was the finest man she ever had beheld, and she mentally exclaimed, There is the man for my money! and, at the same time, resolved that she would win him. Alas! how short-sighted are mortals! Little did the Corporal imagine that the most untoward event in his life would be the cause of his being possessed of ease and competence. The widow received him most graciously, spoke in no measured terms against Vanslypergen, at which the corporal raised his huge shoulders, as much as to say, He is even worse than you think him. Was very violent against Snarleyyow, whom the corporal, aware that it was no mutiny, made no ceremony in, damning and heaps, as the saying is. The widow begged that he would feel no uneasiness, as he should remain with her till the cutter returned. And an hour after the first introduction, Corporal Van Spitter had breakfasted with, and was actually sitting, by her request, on the little fubsy sofa, in the very place of Vanslyperken, with Frau Sloosh by his side. We must pass over the few days during which the Cutter was away. Widows have not that maiden modesty to thwart their wishes, which so often prevents a true love-tale from being told. And all that the widow could not tell? Babette, duly instructed, told for her, and it was understood before the Cutter's arrival that Corporal Van Spitter was the accepted lover of the Frau Sloosh. But still it was necessary that there should be secrecy, not only on account of the corporal's being under the command of the lieutenant, who of course would not allow himself to be crossed in his love without resenting it, but also because it was not advisable that the crew of the Jungfrau should not be permitted to spend their money at the Lusthaus. It was therefore agreed that the lieutenant should be blinded as to the real nature of the intimacy, and that nothing should take place until the cutter was paid off, and Corporal Van Spitter should be a gentleman at large. Independent of the wisdom of the above proceedings, there was a secret pleasure to all parties in deceiving the deceiver, Vanslyperken. But something else occurred, which we must now refer to. The corporal's residence at the widow's house had not been unobserved by the Jesuit, who was the French agent, in the house opposite, and it appeared to him, after the inquiries he had made, that Corporal van Spitter might be made serviceable. He had been sent for and sounded, and it was canvassed with the widow whether he should accept the offers or not, and finally it was agreed that he should as there would be little or no risk now it so happened that the corporal had gone over to the jesuit's house to agree with the proposals and was actually in the house conversing with him when vanslyperken arrived and knocked at the door the corporal ascertaining who it was by a small clear spot left in the painted window for scrutiny begged that he might be concealed and was immediately shown into the next room by a door which was hid behind a screen. The Jesuit did not exactly shut the door, as he supposed he did, and the corporal, who wondered what could have brought Vanslyperken there, kept it ajar during the whole of the interview and the counting out of the money. Vanslyperken left and as he shut the other door, the corporal did the same with the one he held ajar, and took a seat at the other end of the room, that the Jesuit might not suspect his having overheard all that had passed. Now the Jesuit had made up his mind that it was better to treat with the principal than with a second, and therefore did not further require the services of Corporal Van Spitter. He told him that the lieutenant— having received private information that one of the people of the cutter had been seen at his house, and knowing that he was the French agent, had come to inform him that if he attempted to employ any of his men in carrying letters, he would inform against him to the authorities, that he was very sorry, but that after such a notice he was afraid that the arrangements could not proceed. The corporal appeared to be satisfied, and took his final leave. No wonder, therefore, that the widow and Babette were on the watch when they saw Van Slyperken enter the house at the very time the corporal was there also. The corporal went over to the widow's, and narrated all that he had heard and seen. "'Why, the traitor!' exclaimed the widow. "'Yes, mein Gott!' repeated the corporal. THE villain TO SELL HIS COUNTRY FOR GOLD? YES, MEIN GOT, REPEATED THE CORPORAL. FIFTY GUINEAS, DID YOU SAY, MEIN HERE, VAN SPITTER? YES, MEIN GOT, REPEATED THE CORPORAL. OH, THE WRETCH! WELL, CONTINUED THE WIDOW, AT ALL EVENTS HE IS IN YOUR POWER. YES, MEIN GOT. YOU CAN HANG HIM ANY DAY IN THE WEEK. Yes, my God, oh ho mr vanslyperken well well mr. vanslyperken, we will see. continued the widow, indignant at the lieutenant receiving so large a sum, which would otherwise have been in all probability made over to Corporal Van Spitter, with whom she now felt that their interests were in common. thousand tifles! roared the corporal. Dashing his foot upon one of the flaps of the little table before them with so much force that it was broken short off and fell down on the floor. Hundred thousand typhles continued the corporal when he witnessed the effect of his violence. Although the widow lamented her table, she forgave the corporal with a smile. She liked such proofs of strength in her intended and she, moreover, knew that the accident was occasioned by indignation at Vanslyperken. Yes, yes, Mr. Vanslyperken, you'll pay me for that, exclaimed she. I prophesy that before long you and your nasty cur will both swing together. The corporal now walked across the little parlour and back again, then turned to the widow Vandersloosh, and, with a most expressive look, slowly muttered, "Yes, mein got After which he sat down again by the side of the widow, and they had a short consultation before it was over. Corporal Van Spitter declared himself the deadly enemy of lieutenant vanslyperken, swore that he would be his ruin, and ratified the oath upon the widow's lips. Alas, what changes there are in this world! After which solemn compact, the Corporal Rose took his leave, went on board, and reported himself as we have stated in the preceding chapter. End of chapter 21 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina